You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, we're going to bring in Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University, talk everything from uh, Olympics and and boycotting or not going in vaccinations and how the United States of America has just spun it around and gone from literally last to first in, in virtually no time or certainly almost uh, at first. Elliot Tepper from Carleton University with us now. Elliot, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you, Scott. And same to you. So uh, we were talking with our last guest, uh, actually Michael Chong, MP for uh, the Conservatives, talking about Aaron O'Toole's uh, suggestion yesterday that uh, we asked to have the Beijing Olympics 2022 moved, uh, obviously for uh, human rights issues, what's happening with the Uyghurs there, and obviously the detainment of the two Michaels, which as you uh, rightly pointed out to our producer, 800 days uh, they have been in captiv- uh, captivity now. What are your thoughts on the Beijing 2020 Olympics? 2022, well, guess, sorry. Let's go back to the 800 days. It's uh, We should not let this day slide by, and yeah. nor should we let uh, slip from our memories the fact that at least two Canadians have been picked up arbitrarily in response to our prosecution on, at the request of the U.S., we picked up. We're not prosecuting. We are holding Meng Wanzhou. So that is an ongoing situation. But at 800 days, it's uh, it, we should keep this in mind. It's front and center. And as part of that, Canada has announced it's going to take some action, uh, not uh, necessarily on the Olympics. It's a different issue. But Canada is moving multilaterally, which is one of our strengths, to try to bring uh, more than one uh, type of pressure on, on China because yesterday there was a, I'm going to read it, a declaration against arbitrary detention in state-to-state relations. That is, it's an anti-hostage-taking <laughs> declaration signed now by 57 states. More are expected to join. So Canada is trying to mobilize global opinion. We can't face off, nor can Australia, nor can you know, places like Norway, against China on our own. So we have to move multilaterally to see what we can do to bring some kind of pressure to bear on China. In regard to the Olympics, uh, I think simply calling cancellation without saying here's an alternative perhaps isn't a complete answer. Uh, there was a suggestion that Canada and the U.S. say, you know, why don't we take it over because we have the facilities. And the whole separate issue of what do you do about Olympians who are um, – you know, train all their lives for this one moment and then be canceled because of a political mm-hmm. issue. I think that's a debate within within the community. But uh, certainly we should take note of the fact that China is not behaving in, as a responsible global leader as they want to be. Basically, they're showing they're not ready for prime time. You were saying earlier uh, the prime minister working unilaterally, unilaterally to try to get uh, many countries on board, uh, larger countries on board, numbers of countries on board to stand behind us. Why is this happening now? This has been 800 days. Yes, I think the uh, one of the remarkable things that's happened over the last while is the radical transformation globally in the attitude toward China. We have actual rankings. Uh, there's an organization called the Pew Organization, P-E-W. They do a global ranking. They do many surveys. And China's reputation globally around the world is dropping uh, steadily. 
not just in Canada, but Canada has played a role in this. This is one of the things that we can do without at the same time taking the kind of steps that might uh, put our hostages, and that's what they are, in even greater and more dire circumstance. China on this issue, by the way, this declaration does not name China, but China immediately responded saying, uh, you know, basically butt out, this is an internal matter, you can't talk about us internally. So they are sensitive at least, at least to the kind of global pressure that can be brought to bear. They are, in a sense, coming into focus uh, just at a time when they're laying claim to be global leaders. Uh, they are the first or second economy, the second officially about to be the first e largest economy in the world. They have uh, been saying all along that we don't want to overthrow the status quo. We want to become the status quo. And they have a staged plan, which they've announced at a party congress, to become the foremost country in the world by the middle of the century. So they plan to take over leadership. And at the same time, more and more states are now saying we're not so sure. Um, and this, the, the relationship, the admiration that our prime minister has, uh, for China reiterated yesterday when he was questioned about the term genocide and, and, and would not use the term genocide to, uh, to describe the, the Uyghur's treatment in, uh, China. What does that say? I suspect that part of it is I, I can only interpret, I don't speak for any government or any individual within the government, but uh, I suspect that concern in part, if you are the government, you're worried that you're going to do damage to not only the two Michaels, Hussein Chalil is in jail, there, there's a number of Canadians subject to pressure inside China, so as a government you have to always keep that in mind. But part of that also might be uh, around the term genocide itself, by definition, genocide. You know, genocide is an attempt to eliminate a species. And is that really what's going on? Terrible, terrible things are going on for the Uyghurs. If you called it cultural genocide, I suspect there would be uh, uh, less hesitation around the world, including perhaps by our own government. Uh, in terms of the Uyghurs, there's no doubt whatsoever that there's an attempt by the Chinese state to, uh, to eliminate the Uyghur identity as it has existed in the past and along with the way unfortunately a number of Uyghurs themselves are likely to be eliminated the whole issue of why why are we accepting in the west cheap cotton goods made from cotton picked by forced labor forced Uyghur labor uh, in these uh, re-education camps which are concentration camps so the whole the whole issue of the Uyghurs is is it helping this process which I suggested to bring the communist state uh, of China, the CCP, in, into focus in a way that it has not been clear, not as sharply defined when China was following a different policy, saying we want peaceable rise, we are not here to threaten anyone, we are, we are, you know, we'll go to Davos and we will take part in all the right kinds of international institutions, and really you have nothing to fear. That whole image is taking. Uh, a sharp uh, a sharp hit now for all these different reasons including what's happening to the Uyghurs. So uh, Elliot, I mean obviously uh Aaron O'Toole the conservatives are talking about um relocating the games. Uh, another option is just not to send the Canadian athletes, but I would be very I would be very uh concerned about the safety of our athletes, the safety of, you know, the media, the safety of the delegation 
in China, in Beijing, considering the two Michaels. Yes, and the concern that you are now expressing has been well-earned by the behavior of the Chinese state. Yeah. They are now hearing that from you and from around the world, not just from us uh, in Canada, but around the world. It's because of their own behavior. And the fact that it's being expressed so deeply, so widely uh, from so many different sources with genuine concern about what happens if you go to China, I think that's um, that's something that the that the state uh, ought to pay attention to. It's something the Communist Party should pay attention to. Xi Jinping's reputation itself, and that's critical to him, is on the line. And if his behavior is leading to the kinds of questions you are raising, well, I think that's something that uh, the people of China, certainly the party itself, should take into account. And you have to think, too, of the timing here, Elliot, because if this, you know, Beijing Olympics 2022, um, by that time, the Huawei CFO case should be starting to shake down. No, will we not start to see results there, whether she's extradited or not? So it's it's going to be bizarre, just even from a, a timing perspective here. Yes, but of course, the global scene is well beyond our own situation. The Chinese government, the, the, the Communist Party of China, which is the state itself right now, is under uh, is under reexamination not only because of the two Michaels and our own action in drawing global attention to it, but because of Chinese behavior elsewhere, starting with Australia, which has gone undergoing quite a um, a major case as well. So, what the the bottom line is is that China and its wolf warrior attitude you know we're, we're going to take on the world we're going to be aggressive we're not no more mr nice guy we are we are here you better pay attention to us the fact that uh with some luck with some luck that Meng Wanzhou situation will be resolved prior to the olympics will not re- remove now the global doubt about the status of china in the world is that global doubt enough to make china change its way or will they just move into high gear they have many reasons to think they'll just ride it out because they will become the world's largest economy if they're not already. They are the number one trading partner of a number of states, including almost all the states surrounding them, many of whom, like India and Japan, uh, have very severe uh, bilateral disputes with them. But nevertheless, they're the number one trading partner, say, for Indonesia. That's why Australia is so interesting because they are so important economically, but Australia is taking as bold a stance as it can under the circumstances. China's future and fate in the world may have been bound up by the two Michael situation and our role in making this a global issue. But now that it is a global issue, with or without our, the Canadian situation, hopefully positively resolved by the time of the Olympics, what China is doing now to the Uyghurs is attracting attention in a way that it might not have otherwise done. They can no longer get away with things, uh, hoping that their economic might and their former willingness to say that we are positive partners, uh, they are paying a, a, a reputational cost. I don't believe it will hurt Xi Jinping as long as he can deliver the goods at home. That is, as long as the state can continue to deal with its own population in a way that uh, satisfies the the uh, Han Chinese core of the state, not of course the Uyghurs uh, and uh, maybe some of the others in Tibet and so forth. But as long as that state 
uh, apparatus delivers the goods. If the people feel better and better, uh, perhaps he can weather this out. But I do want to emphasize, since you raised it in this fashion, that there is, a, in a sense, a global contest going on now for the creation of democratic space. And the democratic space is a contest we, we're seeing right now in, in Burma, Myanmar, but also don't forget Hong Kong. So all around the globe, there's, there's a real contest going on between the forces of authoritarianism and populism of left and right types and the desire for the creation of a space for democracy. I suspect inside China itself, that kind of space is what they, they fear the most. And the actions toward Hong Kong shows that. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Now, what about, Elliot, the change in administration in the United States? Uh, Donald Trump was, you know, started to tick off the allies and hug the traditional enemies. Uh, it seemed that the world order was changing, that the world's police department wasn't there anymore. Uh, the world's security guard wasn't watching over what was going on. Well, Trump's gone now, and obviously Biden's taken a different stance on all of this. Does that change their perception? Does that mobilize the allies? We have a situation, not only with the United States, but around the world, that China is already there. What you see in front of you already exists. It's not someday they will be a major economic power. Someday they will yeah. be a major military power. Someday they might take over the South China Sea and militarize it. Someday they may, you know, abrogate their obligations in Hong Kong and get away with it. Uh, that, that situation is already with us. So the whole situation today is what do you do about a China that is already present? The United States has been saying under Donald Trump that we don't want to be the global leaders. We don't want to set the uh, global agenda. We don't really think that traditional alliances are the way to go. And in regard to China, well, we'll try some trade wars. We'll try some bluster. We'll try some things. But now, you know, with the U.S. basically going it alone, under Donald Trump, space was created. I'm sorry to use that term in a different way. But space yeah. was created for other states to fill a vacuum in the world affairs. Both Russia and China have moved into that in an already de facto multipolar world. What, uh, what Biden is saying is, to quote, and to paraphrase Canada, America is back. We are ready now to sit down at the head of the table once again. His difficulty is that uh, that's, that disorganization of the world, that is the lack of a global leader uh, of a certain type of behind the U.S., uh, has already been vitiated, and he doesn't have the resources to devote to the world when he has so many trouble uh, areas to deal with at home. He is beleaguered at home at a time when he wants to stake leadership abroad, in particular to push back against both Russia and China, Iran, uh, maybe North Korea. But uh, although he's superbly equipped, that administration is extraordinarily well equipped for foreign affairs, they are so beleaguered at home, I don't know how much attention and resources they can bring. Uh, let's say in the few minutes we got left, let's talk about uh, vaccination in the U.S. Sure. I mean, the U.S. has gone from a hoax to warp speed vaccination. I mean, they've gone literally from zero to 100 in no time. H how do you how do you describe their their change of pace once the new president was uh, installed? 
Well, the central message of the Biden administration is we are here to govern. We are here to govern and, and we are ready to take on the challenges of America. They're uh, in, the, in those very terms saying that we, the, the days under Trump are gone. Now it's, there is somebody in charge of the vaccination program in America. Of course, he staked his reputation on this. Now he will rise or fall in part on this, to a large part, uh, as to how he succeeds in dealing with the COVID crisis, which he has to get out under control in order to deal with the economic crisis, in order to get under, move on to the other two areas of the pillars of his foreign, of his uh, domestic policy, which is climate change and racial justice. Those are the four pillars of his administration. He has to deal with COVID effectively. Uh, it does look right now as if he will be able to uh, get his uh, 100 million doses in his first 100 days. And the rate of, uh, around the world actually, the rate of infections apparently is dropping fairly sharply. Mm-hmm. However, the U.S. is far behind other places in terms of getting vaccinations uh, into the arms of people. Do they have the supplies? Do they have the ability to get it out to the states? Can the states in turn uh, take the responsibility to get it into people's arms? He's saying that there's somebody in charge and we have a plan. How well they can execute that will largely determine the fate of this administration. Yeah, sort of a different problem than Canada. They got lots of supply, but are faltering with the, with uh, distribution. We got the distribution ready, but faltering with the supply. Uh, what about all the chatter in regard to impeachment? Uh, that's behind us now. It's gone. Is that done and over with now? Uh, yes. Can no. Can Biden move on with other with other uh, issues on his agenda? What he just said basically today is, you know. Uh, I'm now standing forth. Until today, till after the impeachment was over, uh, he was doing all the things he wanted to do, but it was the cloud of the past was holding over him. Basically, he's now saying, I'm standing forth. From this day forward, we're into a new era, the Biden era. That's the message of, of his town hall and, and all the other messaging coming out from the administration. Uh, <laughs> he does have the situation where he still has a Republican Party that is possibly going to be so obstructionist that he can't really get a whole lot done. Really, this administration only has till the midterm elections in 2022 when 100 seats, all 100 seats, uh, sorry, all of the congressional seats, 100% of the congressional seats are up and one-third of the Senate seats are up. The impeachment possibly, possibly will work out to the advantage of Americans, uh, of the Democratic Party in America, because the, uh, the impeachment process itself laid bare, in a, you know, for history and for the voters, the culpability of Trump, whereas the party of Trump is coalescing behind him, may well be a division within the party, uh, Republican Party, which will create more openings for the Democrats to actually hold the House and Nancy Pelosi, therefore, to keep the speakership, which was very, very unlikely until this uh, impeachment, until the behavior of the U.S. president, uh, which she, uh, for which she was impeached. 
You know, everybody's talking and has been since the election about how much influence Donald Trump will have over America and over the Republican Party. But to me, those are two different questions. Clearly, he still has a firm uh, grasp over the Republican Party. We saw that in the vote and such. But as you mentioned, uh, he divides everything he's involved with, and he's now divided the Republican Party. So uh, a divided party can never win an election. A united party wins an election. So don't you see this party being dead in the water for the next few years because of the inability of the Republican to unite. Yes, the one of the fascinating things since January 6th has been the potential falling away from Trump and the reconsolidation behind Trump of much of the Republican Party. Yes, it's entirely possible that he can now, well, to back up a bit, you and I have been talking about this for a very long time, what can damage the, the hold that Trump has over his, the, the, the followers of Trump and therefore the Republican Party. Would anything do it? And apparently not even the assault on the Capitol for which he was blamed uh, will will shake that. But what that does mean is that the party itself is in position. The Trump party is the Republican Party. He doesn't have to start a new party. The traditional Republicans, institutional Republicans, (laughs) Scott, they're talking about starting a new party because they've lost their party. But what that means is that Trump possibly can be sure that uh, in the primaries, Republican primaries, his people get nominated, but then those nominees are not going to be able to win any election or many of the elections because they're going to be too far to the right. Yeah, I see him influencing the party, but that's not going to be enough to get them elected in the United States of America, I don't think. And again, he he had it all and slowly lost it bit by bit and has divided and conquered along the way. And, uh, you know, team sports, I don't think you can win doing that. Elliot Tepper has been with us, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at Carleton University. Elliot, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. And same to you. Everybody stay safe. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.